Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass effect. Lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant. Mass spectrograph, your electron volt. Atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons. Gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron. Any and every mic you're on. Trans uranium, if y'all was uranium. Molecules, spontaneous combustion. Pow. Law of definite proportion. Game ink weight. I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science, where we share stories of human curiosity. I'm Regina Barbara DeGraff, and I teach physics and astronomy at Western Washington University. Also, I host this radio show with my wonderful co-host and improv entertainer, Jordan Baker. I am Jordan Baker. Yeah. I work at the benefit counter at the Macy's. Uh, you do not. I <laughs> sell women's makeup. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to go to Bell's Fair and get sprayed with a perfume, you do that too, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't work there, but <laughs> I, just I can just you. spray you with perfume. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, which, which actually brings us to today's show, the science of smell. Perfume, smell. Right. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Macy's. It was a great segue. It was a great segue. It's almost like somebody loaded you up with that. Yeah. Go on. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> And our guest today is a colleague of mine at Western Washington University, awesome lady, Dr. Lena Dahlberg. Is that how you say your last name? Yep. Excellent. That's it. I didn't mess it up. No. no you so didn't how are you up. doing today? And welcome. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So is this your first time on a radio show? It is my very first time on a radio show. Wow. Can you tell? <laughs> She's so nervous. <laughs> well, we, we want to welcome you. And you're actually one of our last shows before our, our long break, before our relaunch in January. Sweet. Yeah. So you're going um, to, it's all on you. Okay. No, no. I'm, just I'm the anchor. I'm the anchor. I got yeah. it. Got to hold us in. What is your research? What, um, what's your um, position at Western, and then tell us all about yourself. Okay, in that order? Yeah. Check. Yeah. Um, so my research is looking at how cells maintain the right number and localization, so putting things in the right places, okay. the right number of proteins um, on their surface. And what we're really interested in is how that affects the sense of smell in an animal. Cool. And we can talk about what proteins have to do with smell. I'm sure we'll get into that in yeah depth, but we do this in a model system, which means that it's a simple organism. So humans, mice, monkeys, all very, very complex, and they have a lot of thinking. Yeah. We like to use a simple system that has an easy uh, nervous system and very few but very stereotyped behaviors. And so we use a little worm called C. elegans. So who else uses that who's been on our show before? Right. So you recently talked to Jackie Rose, who yeah. also works in the nervous system of the same animal, which is great. So I have a collaborator right down the hall from me. Yeah. She's also super fun. She's also super yeah. fun. So I have a great coffee drinking buddy also. So I, I heard a rumor when I was at Western Washington University at the turn of the century uh -oh. um, that they were monkeys at Western that they they did, you know, experiments on and stuff like that. At the do first you, one or the second one? Uh, what do you mean the first one? Turn of the century. Um, yes, I am a vampire, and it was 1899. Okay. It was oh. actually 1999. I'm not a vampire. Oh. I know, right? This show just got lame. So, yeah, so are there monkeys? Do you Have you heard about this? So I can only speak for the biology department. Right. We do not have any... Uh, any mammalian systems at all in the okay. biology department, apart from the professors. Right. We're, we're fully mammalian, it turns out, not vampires also. Right. Um, the psychology right. department does have some rodent models, but uh, I have heard 
exactly zero from anybody about, about primate wow. research. We're going to have to look that up. But you should look it up because yeah. I could be wrong, but I really, really <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> so so tell us why, as like a kid, where did you grow up and like what did, why did you want to do science? Why did you want to do biology specifically? Yeah, no, definitely. So, so I'll... First question that I missed was that I'm a professor. I'm an yes, assistant professor yeah. at uh, at Western right now. So I'm starting my third year uh, teaching and doing research on campus. So we got that over with. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in the biology um, department. In the biology. Check. So I'm in the biology department, and Jackie Rose is in the psychology department. So And there's a link between the two with the neuroscience program? There, um, there is. It's not an official link anymore. So okay. the behavioral neuroscience major is now its own major out of the psychology department. Oh, okay. Yeah. And th- did that just start? It had been a joint program, and it ended the the joint effort ended last year. Okay. But the the neuro um, the behavioral neuroscience they still have to take a lot of science. I'm they guessing, even do, though it's out of the and department. I actually teach a, a course, a senior level class that's. Um, probably over 50% behavioral neuroscience students. Do, do they get a bio minor also? They can, they can okay. but they don't get it um, automatically. automatically. Okay. Right. All right. Yep. So why did you want to do biology? Wow. So as a, as a tiny child. As a tiny child. So based on like child rebellion and stuff, like <laughs> I shouldn't have wanted to be a biologist. Both my parents are molecular biologists. Oh, dun, you dun, disappointed. Dun. I know. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. Ew, huh? <laughs> um, so they're actually both professors. My dad's a full professor. My mom was a research professor. Where, are at, they here in Washington? No, in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so middle of, this, middle of the country um, yeah. in Madison. So I grew up in Madison. And, That's um, the capital. It sure is. Wow, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I might have known. I don't know. So I actually grew up sort of surrounded by a scientific culture, which definitely gave me a sense of how fun science was. A little bit of also how hard the work can be. But right. I actually grew up thinking that anybody could be a scientist. And I, I still believe that pretty right. strongly. Um, but growing up with two scientist parents definitely helped out. <laughs> right. Um, right. But, you know, so I... I think I went to college and I was like, you know, I'm going out on my own. Right. Musician. You know. Political science. Okay. I was like, okay. I, I think I can do political science. And okay. and then I took a chemistry class and I was like, oh, man, I really like organic chemistry. I kind of like this chemistry stuff. Maybe I'll be a think? chemist. And I was like, oh, I should just try biology. Right. Um, and I tried it and I loved it. Oh, dear. Um, so How old were you? What well, year in school were you at this point? So I took my I took my first official biology class my ninth grade year in high school. And it was so bad that I vowed never to take another biology class. <laughs> wow. So the next biology class I took was not until my sophomore year of college. Okay. So not much willpower then. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so right. stick-to-itiveness, <laughs> meh. <laughs> Give it a couple of years. Yeah, Maybe I'll exactly. try. I'll try it again. Yeah. So, like, your parents, yeah. you're a sophomore, and you tell them, mm, I like it. What do they do? You know, my parents have never pushed me one way or another. I think yeah. that I came home and had the crisis that a lot of college students have, where they're like, I could... I could still do this political science thing, but I don't really know what it would take me towards. Or I could do this biology thing, and I've seen right. where that goes career-wise. So I felt really comfortable in it. And I, my parents, to their credit, were like, this is a decision you have to make. Um, so they, But deep down, they were like, I, I'm sure deep down they really <laughs> like that our, our Thanksgiving conversations are riveting 
for only us. Right. <laughs> right. Awesome. Right. My sister's a physicist. Oh, uh, wow. Oh. <laughs> wow. Do you have any brothers? No. Oh, okay. No. That's awesome. Well, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think there's so many students that go into university, and if they don't have any exposure to science, they don't know anything about science, they are at these crossroads, and they didn't have kind of the benefit you did. To, like, you knew where it was going to go, right. and they have, like, no idea. And they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe business would make me more money than going into, like, biology, which I really love or right. something. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I try not to push my daughter into physics, but she's like, I really like science. And I was like, you do whatever you want. <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard. She's six. Well, <laughs> perhaps she'll also like horses and, you know, painting. She loves painting and drama. So I'm, I'm kind of pushing that. Like, I really care about that. So when she rebels, she'll go to physics. Ooh, very smart. Very wow. smart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one me thing that was important, she... I thought, in college was that I... I could have gotten a biochemistry minor by taking a couple more science classes. But I definitely was like, when am I going to ever get to take, like, renovating Shakespeare? Like, whenever am I going to get to take that English class from somebody who really knows what they're talking about? Yeah. And the answer is never again. So I, you know, I tried really hard also in, in college to make sure that I took some some things that just widened my horizons. That's awesome. Where did you go to college? I went to Haverford College, which is a teeny tiny liberal arts college on the East Coast. It's right outside Philly. Okay. So your parents were like, stay in Madison and live with us. That's what I tell my daughter. Mm, yeah, <laughs> no, no. I'm like, this will save us money because I can't afford it anything definitely, else. It definitely would have saved us money, especially yeah. at that time. I think Robin Codner and I have talked about this. She's also a professor at, at Western. She grew up also in Wisconsin. Okay. We kind of look the same, but we're not. Oh, that's right. I mean, I don't right. think you guys have both have black hair. Yeah. That's and we're it. the same height. Okay. And we both and we both grew up in Wisconsin and we're both biologists. She's got glasses. She has glasses. That's how you can tell the difference. But the point is that we were talking about in-state tuition and at the time that we were going to college, it was like two thousand dollars a year. It was really yeah. cheap. So. For for Western it was about it was a little over three thousand. And I mean I still had to take a lot of loans, but um, it was definitely cheaper than any other right. place I could yeah. have gone. So I bucked that. <laughs> yeah. And I went to a <laughs> private liberalized okay. college. But yeah. What I got to do there was really phenomenal, and they had us doing primary research our second year. So first biology class I had taken in probably five or six years, and they had us doing real research with no right answer, just an answer that we might get and try and corroborate. So yeah, it was a phenomenal experience. So that hooked you. It did. Yeah. Where'd you go to, what did you do in grad school, and and where'd you go? Well, so I went to grad school out here, actually, at um, University of Washington in Seattle. You get a lot of those at at Western. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, I actually just took some of my students back down to the UW this past week, so they could look around the biochemistry department, where I got my PhD, Mm -hmm. and they could take a look around and see, and everybody we met said, gosh, we get great students from Western here. Yeah, that's awesome. Plug for Western. Yeah, yeah. Again. (laughs) Yeah. If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. Today we're talking about the science of smell with Lena Delbert. And so I worked um, in a very cool lab. We were a developmental biology lab. So we were looking at how it is that if you have an egg, right, you think about an egg, it's round. Maybe it has a pointy end and a rounder end. But frog eggs, for example, they basically have like a top and a bottom. You can't see where the head is going to be. But as soon as an egg is fertilized, there are signals 
that go throughout the egg. And within about 12 hours, you can actually start seeing where the head of the animal is going to be. Mm-hmm. And within 24 hours, you can actually see it visually where the head of an animal is going to be. So I was working on the signaling pathways um, that the cell uses to make sure that the head ends up in the right place, but mm-hmm. also that you don't make extra heads. So right. these are important when yeah. you think about the development of a of a young animal, for example, Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> You're staring yeah. Jordan. He's like, I'm pretty like, sure. I'm my, pretty sure there's my only baby one head. Has a head. <laughs> but when I was teaching development and I was pregnant, that oh was uh, those were some scary moments where I was like, oh, all the things that can go wrong. Right. It's amazing. But but we have so, to trust nature. Most of the time, it doesn't. go Exactly, wrong. and that's, that's really the amazing thing. Yeah. So my um, that's okay, Jordan. My, well, I, I was just gonna and say, and that's what I the ultrasound to, is arti- for. I used to artificially inseminate cows, and there, there, uh, my stepdad still does, and he actually sent me a picture of a two-headed calf the other day. Yeah, Ooh, but they don't live very long. No, right? they no. don't. No, but, it's so sad. Yeah, but again, it's fun to learn. Very stuff. rare, right? Incredibly happen. rare, and 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 what happened in that situation is everything else went so right. I mean, that's actually another, you know, amazing set of pathways that, you know, if that's, it's sort of funny that you could say if that's the only thing that went wrong, but there it is. The lab that I was in was really cool because we were working on this very organismal cellular project, but I was also working part-time in a lab that looked at the molecular, the atomic structure of proteins. And so we were looking at basically from the organismal level, but also from the molecular level, how it was that all the pieces could fit together to make these signaling pathways go right. And so. how they communicate, communicated? Yep, and yeah, so I used a lot of biochemistry to look at the actual communication between the molecules. Which is fascinating. Which, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Dr. Lena and I are part of this uh, workshop, this program at Western, and I remember um, during the workshop there was somebody who had like a student-centered learning activity that they were just trying it out on the professors, and they're like, we would make students take, you know, go through this activity and talk about how cells divide, and and I sadly have only taken one biology class in my life, and it was in high school, because, yeah, in college, in physics, you had so many classes that you didn't have to take the other right. um, sciences. Right. And I remember being in this workshop that Dr. Lena and I were both in. And I'm just like, wow, that's what happens. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you made a baby. This is what happened inside of you. And I was like, really? Well, you know, the, fl- <laughs> yeah. the flip side wow. is that a, a similar workshop that I think you weren't attending. Um, we did one on physics. Yeah. And I came away oh, and I was one? like, I was there. I <laughs> sure wish that I had known that about 20 years ago, I learned so much about light in about an hour and a half. Yeah. And then I was embarrassed that I hadn't known it a yeah, lot I was at I was at that one. Um, it, it's really, so this, this stereotype that if you're a scientist, then you're like um, this cartoonish person who knows all of science and you can like right. build a time machine. Um, most scientists do not know much more outside of their own field. And it's um, unfortunate, but we try. We're, we love to learn and we try to learn as we get older and older and I'll probably take a chemistry class one of these days. It's biology. nice to see you guys broadening your horizons. Yeah, right. we're, we're <laughs> all trying. the way out to physics. I told you, this is why I took the English classes. <laughs> I wasn't sure it would ever happen again. So, okay, so let's get back. So you, you're in grad school. Yeah. You're looking at how all these things work in eggs. Is it just frog's eggs or is it In like- that case, I, so I was the, actually the only one working on frog's eggs, but then uh, the rest of my lab was working on zebrafish, which are another model. Yeah. They're, they're also a great system because they develop quickly and they're optically clear. So people yeah. are, have actually stopped using the frog so much because the eggs are full of yolk, just like 
chicken egg has right. a lot of yolk in it, but the zebrafish are delicious. Are all, yeah, probably, they're also delicious, right? So <laughs> <laughs> the zebrafish egg, the embryo actually develops outside the yolk, and mm. so it's very easy to see, and it's the eggshell is clear. So a lot of people are moving towards that. Did you do a postdoc? We were I just talking to another postdoc. Did yeah. I did do a postdoc? I moved all the way back across the country. Jeez, um, <laughs> went to Boston. I was at Tufts University, and things that they say when you choose a postdoc are don't change too many things so don't like change your model system and the place you're living and the biological question you're asking all at the same time so right. i just went ahead and did all three do all three. yeah Good so for you. yeah Good for you. yeah so for our listeners again who didn't listen to the the postdoc um, i think it was life at volcanic fence so a postdoc is when you basically you graduate with your phd you're not quite a professor yet you're on this weird limbo and you have a job for like two years where you're doing research under another professor right. and getting paid slightly more than a grad student and slightly in less than a professor. Right. Yeah. yeah it's a, <laughs> so it's just a, trying to explain. Exactly. And <clears throat> so it's basically a situation where you have a lot of freedom to use all the training you got as a graduate student to go really deep into a new question. So when you become a research professor, you'll be able to like ask these questions on your own and like do these things on your own. Right. And so the I idea is that if you're, you know, bombarded from all directions with different possibilities you should be able to you know use some of those reasoning skills <laughs> ideally so <laughs> hopefully 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 right. we're gonna take a break and when we come back we'll talk about like how you changed all those two things and you survived and you're a well-adjusted professor and we're gonna talk about the stuff you do now with the worms yes. and dr jackie rose great If you're just joining us, this is Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. I'm Regina Barber-DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. Today we're joined by Dr. Lena Dahlberg, molecular and cellular biologist. Today's episode, The Science of Smell, was produced in the KMRE Spark Radio Studios, located in the Spark Museum on Bay Street in Bellingham. Our producer is Katie Knutson. The engineer for today's show is Eric Faburetta. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Welcome back to Spark Science. We're talking to Dr. Dahlberg about the science of smell. We haven't really talked about smell yet, but now we are. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're smelling the, the microphones here. They smell good. I smell pot pie. I was uh, just eating that. I can't smell the microphone. You can't? It doesn't smell good. I, no. That was a... That was There's sorry. probably lots of people spit on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many people use these I things. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, in your postdoc, I'm guessing, is when you got to this idea of smell. Ooh, I'm guessing. close. Very close. Close. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to wait just four years. Mm. So I did a postdoc um, wherein I changed cities and yeah. I started working on the How did that go for work. you? Did you go insane a little bit? 
know. I, well, maybe. You yeah. could ask, you know, an outside observer. I, did you have support when you like, yes. changed all those things? I'd probably I just did. I moved start across. slapping everybody because their accents. I don't know what it is about <laughs> the Boston accent, but really? go on. <laughs> Boston's full of, you know, immigrants, too, you know, from the West Coast, so they don't all sound like that. Oh, awesome. um, Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, of course. So I actually moved across with uh, my, I guess he was then my boyfriend. And so we... Um, moved across together, which is great because yeah. I knew a few people from college out in Boston, but you know, Boston's kind of big yeah. to get across the city to find people. So yeah, that worked out really well, actually. I was ready for a break. And one thing that's interesting about how science works is that often, career-wise, is that often it's hard to get a job in the same places where you've done your postdoc, yes. which is a funny it's a funny conundrum, right? Because yeah. you've done great work and you know everybody and yet you can't turn that into a career usually. You usually have to leave the university right. that you're at. So I knew I wanted to come back to the West Coast. So you went so as I far went away as, as you far could. far away <laughs> as I possibly could. Um, nice. Yeah. And what, what really took me out there was I wanted to do a teaching postdoc. So okay. you, most postdocs are research intensive and right. you're really just practicing your craft, which is doing scientific research. Um, and I got into a postdoc program that gave me training both in the research and grant writing and things that you need for a successful research career, but also in teaching and pedagogy. Wow. So was I it like 50-50 or was it? It was nominally 75% okay. research and 25% okay. teaching. I think it, okay. it was probably a little bit closer to 50-50, but okay. um, in any case, I ended up teaching my own course at a local college um, at the same time that I was getting my research project off the ground. Oh, cool. So that was a four-year program, and it was really great for, for both research and teaching. And in that postdoc, I was learning about the nervous system of this very simple model organism, the nematode, um, which is a roundworm that lives in the soil, and it eats bacteria on rotting fruit what? and it only has about a thousand cells 302 of them are neurons wow. so and we were actually only studying about 15 of those neurons so we were like really getting simplified as far as the nervous system goes um is that small neurons wise number of cells Com yeah, number of neurons wise? Like, yeah. yeah so let's like say what? that we have about 10 billion in our brain okay we and we're win. talking right you right. guys might <laughs> no, you, you look know. like you have at least <clears throat> nine billion. Thanks. Great. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> With a B. <laughs> yeah. Um, she didn't say million. No, I didn't. And so when I left my lab, um, it was really important that I have a project that I felt like I could take to a new university and thrive with. And the 15 or so neurons that we had been interested in, um, there are a lot of people studying those particular neurons. And I felt like it was to my advantage to actually switch one more time, hopefully not too many more switches, right. but one more time and take what I knew about how to work on neurons in a small microscopic organism, but ask a question that was very different. So instead of thinking about learning and memory, which is what we had been studying in my postdoctoral lab, I went to the sensory neuron system, and I'm now, so that's how I moved into the olfaction field. Well, so you, so you actually do know a lot. Um, uh, there's a lot of crossover between you and Dr. Jackie Rose because she she does memory and 
and right. stuff. Right. So all <laughs> on the same worm that you are now working Exactly. On. Okay. So the work that I did in my postdoc is very much parallel with what Jackie Rose is doing okay. right now. And in fact, we're finishing up one last project in those neurons. So we're actually working a little bit in Jackie's lab to get some of those things finished. So what is the main question that you ask about this simple organism about sensory stuff? Like, what's the main thing that you want to get out of this? So what I want to know, so I actually am really interested in how it is that we receive signals from the outside world. So if you think about like a light bulb, right, we know that the photons of light are actually exciting molecules that are basically on the outside of cells. And that message, there is light outside, has to be relayed into the cell so that the cell can send the message to a receiving cell. And that cell can send the message further on into the brain. And that would all be happening in the part of the brain that in mammals is the visual cortex. So I'm interested in the same kind of question, but in in the sense of smell. So if you walk into the, the um, example I like to use is if you walk into an Ikea store. Meatballs. Meatballs and cinnamon rolls, right? The first, like, wow. yes, it's overwhelming. <laughs> Lingonberry. But you can smell something right away. Yeah. And you don't need to know a lot about what's going on no. to know that there is a food source nearby and it's external to your body. So that sense has to be relayed across a cell membrane, has to excite the right part of the cell, and then the cell has to send that message on to the right part of your brain that says this is a smell. So that's kind of the, that's the, the big picture, right. is how do we keep our cells healthy so that they can actually relay those messages? So what happens when those cells don't get healthy? Like what happens when people, because I, I know you're, you're looking at this worm, but of course you can extend it to right. humans. Right. Um, and that's what you're trying mm-hmm. to do. What happens when people lose their smell? Like, yeah. Why does it happen? And then what are the like the effects so to the there, other parts of the body? If you think about the relay <clears throat> that has to happen um, between the outside world and the part of your brain that's actually making sense of the sensation, um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. It's actually in that way similar to development. It's amazing that it usually works, right? Okay. So what can go wrong? Many things. What we know is that, for example, in patients with that are... Pre, um, pre-symptomatic uh, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's patients often lose their sense of smell early. Oh, and really? what we think is that those are actually cells that are dying. So the cells that would normally be receiving the sensation are actually not surviving very well. Wow. There are also situations that, um, that can affect smell if you injure that part of the brain that would be doing the processing, right? So if you damage your olfactory cortex. So then that actually happens, right? Like there's sure. the, what part of the brain, like, is there like a head trauma that, okay. Head trauma okay. or stroke. And sometimes uh-huh. it's unclear and people will have these sort of short periods in their lives where they lose a sense of smell and then they regain it back. And often those are unclear exactly what's happening. I heard that smokers lose their smell too. Is that true? Or it like dulls it? Yeah. It does. Um, I don't know what the molecular basis for that is, so I'm not going to pretend. Pretend. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't, but I do, and so what I also don't know is whether those patients or those, um, the smokers have a higher rate of cell death in their nose, right? So are they losing the sense of being able to receive the signal of a smell or is it attenuated or is there something else happening? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think, I mean, what I've heard, because I've heard the, the same thing, it's that because there has to be or 
in my everyday life, I realize that there's maybe this connection between my taste buds and smell, mm-hmm. right? And like, if you're like, you know, have a cold and your nose is stuffed up, it's hard to like taste things too. So, so what what is going on there? Like, are the smokers like losing taste buds and that's why they can't? Well, smell? so the same same thing could be happening, right? You're pulling a lot of toxins over your your mucous membranes in that case. So same thing could be happening. Your taste buds are actually cells, right? And so they receive different signals than your nose does. And so the interplay between the signal from an odor and the signal from, say, a salty flavor, Mm -hmm. um, those mix to form the taste and smell that we think of every day. Mm -hmm. And so if you lose one aspect of either of those, you've lost half of this, you know, half the sensation. And so when, when you're smelling something, I mean, in your nose and everything, there's those hairs and they, they catch things, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I mean, I want to talk about what's are actually we, happening, are right? We, yeah. Are we going to talk about boogers? Well, Is that we what should. we're talking we about? Should. <laughs> we should. Now it's making they, me, like, they cautious They block the membrane. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that that's how we we take smell, right? I mean, that's what, I, that's what the children's shows tell me. So... So, so what? How am I wrong? Okay, so <laughs> I'd like to say when we're teaching, that's a yeah. really interesting idea, <laughs> and you're not awesome. exactly wrong. Cells have different shapes. So when we think about the cell, if you're looking under a microscope for the first time, people will give you, for example, a piece of a plant to look at, and then a cell is a little square box. Yeah, and it's that's what it looks like. And you look at the cell next to it, and it's a little square box. And the other side, kind of a box. That's not what all cells look like. And so especially neurons that need to be interacting with the outside of the environment, they actually often have little things that look like hairs. And so they actually have sort of fingers that can protrude out into the environment a little bit. Yeah. And that gives a lot of surface area for the odorant to be received. Right. Different than the little black hairs in your nose. Right. 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 But when biology wise, why are the hairs in our nose then? Biology, the black, the black ones, yeah. the, the yeah. ones that look like eyebrows, yeah. they're just filters. Yeah. So okay. they're keeping, they're keeping the muck out, okay. basically. Yeah. So they are not what's catching. Like, Those particles hairs that themselves are... are not catching particles okay. that you would use as odorants. No. Okay. So odorants are just going in because they're so small that. Right. So okay. the odorants that we're studying are um, about. I'm gonna count carbons here. You know between. 8 and 15 carbon molecules. So they're very, very small molecules. Right. They would not be caught by the nose They would nose not hairs. be caught by the nose hairs. See, but if you, you were to try and inhale, you know, like a cup of sand, right. for example, I don't the do nose hairs me. might stop at some of the sand. <laughs> that sounds like it hurts. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't try it at home. <laughs> do not try this at home, kids. You're listening to Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. We're talking about the science of smell with Dr. Lena Dahlberg. Okay, so these odorants go in. Um, how how do they how do they relate to memory though? Because you do have some expertise in memory. You were saying from your postdoc, and so much I think. Um, when people talk about memories, they talk about smell. It's like it yeah. comes up all yeah. the time. So tell me what the heck is going on there. Yeah, so that's what we call association. And so if something happens and at the same time you are experiencing a smell, 
not only is the smell being relayed to the part of your brain that says this is a smell, but your brain, the parts of your brain that are activating memory are also rewiring so that you are actually rewiring your brain a little bit so that your the smell sensation becomes physically sort of attached to the cells that are helping to maintain the memory. Oh, and wow. so the next time you smell the smell, you can actually be activating a memory. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, for, for me, I, the smell of um, dry erase markers for the longest time made me think of kindergarten because it was the first year I had ever encountered dry erase markers right. like it was like our, our school in san diego had gotten like a big whiteboard and i was like what <laughs> the heck is that right it's the first time i ever saw one so like yeah for the longest time every single time i smelled a dry erase marker i thought of kindergarten well and you know there's so much wiring <clears throat> happening in a child's brain that a lot of those memories we may not even be able to place like a room but we get a sensation that makes right. us feel that happened when I was really young. And a lot of that has to do with the wiring that happens when we're, when we're developing our brains. That's crazy. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't necessarily do research, but I stumbled across this video today. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, it, was oh, the top, it was the top 10 uh, most disgusting facts about farts. And uh, they, the very first one was the, the... Like the most disgusting or the least disgusting? This is the most, dis- okay. or most disgusting I'm just facts. trying to count down from 10 to 1. Or so one to 10. the number 10 won the first one because it was like a 10-minute long video and I wasn't going that far. Um, <laughs> well, you didn't even uh, watch the whole video? No. I, I just give me the cliff notes. Yeah. Uh, but they basically said that somebody enjoys their own brand, as, you, as it were, uh, because... Your butt, your brain senses the bacteria inside, or that your body regularly produces. And if you smell somebody else's, uh, there's uh, like a, a danger warning in your brain uh, that warns you from foreign bacteria. Th- they think that they think that somehow you're going to get that in your mouth. Huh? And so it's like, don't eat that danger, God. danger, danger. I've never wow. seen that video, well, but maybe I should go see it. So, and, and, and please send this video to me so we can post it on our Facebook page. Oh, okay. So one, we'll one thing that's really important here is that when you're smelling something, you're not smelling the bacteria, right? You're smelling a byproduct off of the bacteria. Mm. Um, so it's not at all um, ridiculous to think that that could be happening, that you're used to the smells that are coming from your insides. You have a very strong connection with your microbes, right? And so oh, you yeah. could be used to We're the byproduct. Uh, yeah, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Or they're in you together, you right. know, whatever. Whatever. Um, We're a universe together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the byproducts that come out of your bacteria may be more um, familiar to your nose. Bearable. They're Bearable. <laughs> <laughs> or not bearable, but familiar. Right, right. <laughs> Either one. Either one. Was, but that, was that me or the dog? Yeah, right. It's but it is weird. Um, I do want to take it away from farts, even though farts are super funny. Right. Um, but I was trying to bring in something scientific. Right. Well, no, that was good farts. actually. That was good. Um, but like pheromones. Yeah. Right? I'm mm-hmm. I'm super interested in that. Okay. Um, and this idea of like, because obviously that has to do something with sensory, right? That people. They've done totally. studies about like um, my favorite one was they they gave like a whole bunch of women these like shirts these like white shirts yeah yeah, yeah. I saw that one. you saw that one <laughs> yeah. and and all these women are smelling these shirts and like they they 
gave the women, like, after that, a whole bunch of pictures of dudes and then said, like, which shirt do you think belongs to which dude? <laughs> and they, like, picked, like, the one they they liked the smell the best mm-hmm. to, like, the best-looking guy. Right. And they were, like, right a lot of the time. Obviously not 100% of the time, but a, a substantially significant amount of times. And, and, and they also did another study where... I think they did the same thing with, like, women's pillows or something like that for men. Yeah. And so, like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, it's complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Go figure, right? So we actually, we like to do these experiments in the worm. Because instead of having to worry whether a worm finds another worm attractive, they don't have eyes. So what do they do? They give off pheromones, and they can actually sense how many animals are around them and whether it's a good place for them to be. Um, And we can actually, uh, there's actually been a lot of work done recently in isolating the precise chemicals that are, that make up the pheromones that determine how animals react um, to each other in a group. Because I know that like, I mean, perfume companies, we get back to perfume where we started, um, like are just trying to like Mm -hmm. um, simulate these pheromones and be like, if you wear this, women will love you, right. you know. Um, the, the Old Spice thing. The right? Old Spice. <laughs> I don't know if they're super the working on pheromones. Old Spice effect. Yeah. But, so, I mean, do you know anything how it relates to humans and how, like, um, why those pheromones exist? Is it something like this mate is going to make better babies with me? I mean, how does this work? Right. So, from a, from that behavioral standpoint, I think that's very much it, right? right. So, we are attuned to be to be more receptive to the pheromones that evolutionarily led to more productive mates. Right. And so that's, I mean, a very, very simplistic <laughs> level. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. And, you know, <clears throat> brain schmains, you know, like. <laughs> All right. B- before our break, I do want to ask one last question. Jordan, did you want to ask something? Sorry. No, I, I was just going to comment about another video. That was right on the same sort of thing that uh, we were just talking about. Tell us about uh, the video. It was, and then I'll it was bring another video thing. about basically what you were kind of saying that they took all these shirts from these guys who were just got done working out and they had all the women smell them. And all the women were obviously like grossed out by the smell, except for one woman. But she was close to her menstrual cycle. Yeah. So. Which this brings me to exact question I was going to ask. Yeah. High five. Boom. <laughs> so, so. Radio magic, everyone. Yeah. Oh, Jordan, you're awesome. Uh, the question I was going to ask is how do these pheromones relate to um, the idea I've heard? Again, I have not taken biology. I'm not a biologist. That women, their periods sync up. And, like, if there's a whole bunch of women around, it, it starts to sync up. And, and does that have to do with pheromones? Does it, I mean, how are these women communicating menstrual cycles? Like, how, how is that happening? I think that it is pheromones, but I am going to not even touch that one. I just don't know enough about anatomy right. and physiology to go there yeah. on the human scale. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it, it's probably yeah. pheromones. I think that okay. I think that's likely it but yeah. let's all go look that up right yeah, now. yeah let's let's all look it up it's it's fascinating it's, it's fascinating how much we can get away from menstrual cycles but how much any organism communicates without even right. like you saying Absolutely. sight touch i mean we're still communicating yeah it's yeah. amazing it is amazing yeah and it's all through the air it's crazy it's crazy it's actually exciting for me and not scary which is very new for me <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could bring that here. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about this craziness. And hopefully Jordan and I will mentally sync up one more time. And we'll talk about 
uh, movies. Sweet. I'm Lena Dahlberg, and I'm a biology professor at Western Washington University. You're listening to KMRE LP, 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station. Our show is entirely volunteer run, and if you would like to help us out, click on the button Donate. Welcome back to Spark Science. We're talking to Dr. Dahlberg about the science of smell. And we uh, took a break after we talked about crazy stuff. And now and now let's get back to it's a little less crazy. Um, what is, what's new that's happening in the field of, of smell? So I, well, so one, one thing I wanted to just talk a little bit about, because we were talking about behaviors that are very human and very, you know, complex behaviors. And yeah. so when I'm thinking about smell in my lab, what I'm thinking of is what behaviors get changed in an animal when they're smelling. Oh, okay. And so what I am, what my research is really looking at is um, using behavioral readout as a way to, to see how well sen- sensation is functioning. And so in my, in my little corner of the smell world, what's new is that we've known for probably 15, 20 years now, what kind of molecules have to sit at the outside of a cell to make contact with an odorant molecule. Okay. So that's fine. So we know that there's that puzzle piece that has to join up. But what is less clear, at least in the smell field, is how those um, molecules that sit out at the the edge of the cell and actually contact the outside environment, how, how are they kept in the right place yeah. at the right time, right? Like, you don't want to smell things too s- strongly, right? You were talking about smell smell sensitivity yeah you don't want to be like overly overpowered by a single odor but you also don't want to end up in a situation where you can't smell something so the cell actually has to maintain exactly the right balance of molecules um out at the edge of the cells and they all have to be in the right places right we talked about the sort of fingers of the cells that have to be out um interacting with with the environment and and we have to make sure that those, the proteins, the molecules that are actually going to detect the odorant, those have to be out at the fingers because if they're back in the middle of the, of the body of the animal, they aren't going to do any good. So in my little corner of the smell research world, what's new and exciting is figuring out how it is that the cell actually makes sure that the right molecules go to the right places so that smell can be maintained for the animal. If... So we, we were talking about um, smell sensitivity at the break. And w- so if a, like a dog, like a bloodhound or something, do they have more of these like fingers? Like then you're oh, talking about such what- a good question. Yeah. 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 So it's less that the cells look so very different, but the brain area in a dog or a mouse or a rat that is used for processing smells is huge compared ah. to ours. So ah. if you look at a mouse and they have those pointy little noses and there's, you know, pointy heads and you look at the actual shape of the brain, they have a whole sort of it almost looks like an extra lobe of the brain that's the olfactory bulb. And huh. so there's a whole part of the mouse brain that's probably about 
a tenth to a sixth of the size of the entire brain that is wow. dedicated only to smell. Oh. And so that's very different from a human brain, right? Where we're just like, eh, we use it, but we also use our eyes a lot. We use our, our ears, we use our sense of touch. We really use all of our, our senses at one time and sort of bring those into a single picture. Whereas a dog or a mouse, they really depend on that sense of smell. And so they've actually got a dedicated part of the brain that's enlarged over the course of evolution to okay. make sure that the smells can form their own picture, basically. That's super interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I'm thinking about smell. I think about how it also affects behavior in the sense of that certain foods just make people happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, or mm -hmm. just food in general makes mm -hmm. people happy. I think humans, like if, if they smell food, they'll, they'll like, you know, buy more or something. I think, I think malls use this or something. Ikea. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. right. Like, so, so do you, do you have any, like, um, have you read anything about research on that? Like how they can actually like affect purchasing or just like, or like <laughs> that's the psychology. To, yeah, yeah. So I haven't read a lot about that, um, but it's actually, it's similar to a memory, right? So right, if you're true. associating a good feeling with a smell, then yeah, of course you're going to feel better. You're going to potentially stay longer in that store. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think all humans feel better when they eat so therefore right right <laughs> and if you know if you've had an experience with a bad food right mm. you have exactly the opposite association right so applesauce or apple juice rather it still makes me feel not really? well really? because Why? i Tell because us. i got carsick on apple juice when oh. i was three oh and so the God. smell just the smell of apple juice is like not apple three. cider by the way just yeah, apple three. apple oh. juice i don't yeah. remember anything on I don't really, I don't traumatic. really remember it, right? I just remember that it was bad, and I don't like it. Wow. Similar whiteboard markers, wow. amazing, right? There right. you are in kindergarten. It's a new and exciting field. Yeah. That's a positive. It's so funny that you you were talking about this because it instantly made me think of pregnancy. So let's go okay. back to pregnancy and mm -hmm. weird stuff because mm -hmm. that's fun. When I was pregnant, the smell of salmon was horrible uh -huh. and the um, the smell of like udon noodles like japanese noodles was horrible and it's so unfortunate because my husband loves catching salmon loves cooking <laughs> salmon and all of a sudden it was just something i couldn't stand right um what is happening right so that's short circuiting your oh, memory part of this right because you would like something to smell good and in fact you probably anticipated that it would smell good right but um, what you're seeing there is a, the importance of hormones in our bodies. Oh, and so hormones. hormones can really change our brain chemistry. And you can actually change the way, the, the way that cells signal to each other. Oh. So probably what was happening is that you were triggering a response that is normally just not there. Um, and so with elevated and different amounts of hormone, um, different hormones in your body, you're going to actually trigger different brain responses. Wow. Yeah, to the environment, which is crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Science is amazing. Yeah. So when I go overseas, uh, especially to Europe, they say that Americans smell like dairy or milk. Huh. What? Yeah. So hmm. I didn't know if there was something Maybe that, you like, do, Jordan, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant. Uh, yeah. I smell like milk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if there. Do you think there's just something weird about? Encountered that. Oh, really? I don't know. Oh. Yeah, my we, family's all European, so I've gone back a lot. They never told me I smelled funny though. Really? Maybe, are they, maybe they're just being polite. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> well, we have a lot of European listeners, and we think you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just, just yeah. we know we smell like dairy products. We, we do. We, we apologize. In. Yeah, we'll wear more cologne and well, perfume. I think it's funny that you brought that up because I think on a previous show we talked about growing up and how our school was right next to a dairy, and we did smell. I mean, we didn't smell like milk, but we smelled milk all the time. Right. So. Maybe there's something. And the little fertilizer sprayers. Oh. My wife can't stand Ooh. it, but I'm like, eh. Yeah, actually, it's it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and, and living in California, where I used to, like, breed cows and stuff, I'd get covered in turds by the end of the day. And it's like, <laughs> whatever. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> you do. It is just like all this so, well, all these so bad that's, smells. That's right? another thing. Um, yeah. a, a sewage line broke underneath um, a place that we rent, my, uh, my family. Ooh. And... Um, we noticed it, and then we realized that um, at, like, the end of the day, we'd be like, oh, God, it's, it smells. We didn't know it was sewage line broke. We didn't know what it was. And then we realized that after, like, an hour being in the house, we didn't really smell it anymore. Yeah. So what so is happening what? when we get used to these smells? Yeah, so we've been talking about an odorant, and so it's a very small molecule, and it interacts with another molecule on the outside of a cell. And then we've been sort of, like, black boxing it and say, oh, yeah, and then the cell sends another signal. So there's actually, surprise, a lot of molecules yeah. in between the original odorant locking into that puzzle piece of the um, odorant receptor. And so in biology, we call this downstream signaling. So upstream is the odorant, and downstream is the effect. And what's happening is that a bunch of molecules um, inside the cell now interact with each other and send the signal to get an action potential or to get chemicals released from the um, far end of the cell. Now, that happens when the, the first odorant molecules interact with a, an odorant receptor. But after a while, you've saturated the system. Mm. And the system can only keep going for so, for so long. And it'll actually sort of turn itself off. Wow. And so you'll actually see what we call a feedback loop where the um, signaling that's going on actually turns off just at the very inside of the cell, the original signal. And there are a couple ways that you can do that. One is you can, if the odorant stops binding to the receptor, then the receptor gets turned off. But the other thing you can do is just take the whole receptor inside the cell. And if it can no longer interact with the outside of the cell. Oh, it just sucks in? Yeah. Oh. It's not quite like a vacuum, right? <laughs> right. right. It's a, a molecular process that brings this in, and it's actually quite well regulated. But hmm. you can actually internalize a receptor that's been turned on if you want to say, enough. Enough with your signaling. We're going to turn you off. Pull them inside. And then it can't find any more receptor. More any, any, can't find any more odorant. And so the signal actually gets turned off. So your and brain's so, like, I've had enough of this poo smell. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, you can have that kind of feedback yeah. where, right, where you can have a signal that says, actually, cell, you need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that. Or it could be a situation where after a certain amount of time, receptors are just internalized mm. at a specific sort of clockwork. And so after a while, you just aren't receiving the same, same amount of signal depending. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I'm it's glad you brought, we brought that up. Yeah, yeah. So that's a well-known situation. It's called attenuation, where oh. you actually reduce the signal despite the fact that the odor is still clearly 
in the there. environment, yeah. you just aren't sending the signal anymore. My sister came to our house and was like, I don't, I'm not going to do this anymore. She like up and left. And then we got it fixed. It was fixed. Um, <laughs> I wonder. Strong work. There's, there's no way that you can actually control that, right? You can't just like say because mm, oh maybe, mentally yeah yeah train yourself to like all right every time i go into a public restroom shut this <laughs> thing yeah, yeah, yeah 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 not that i know of but <sighs> it's just but that is um it's the way that car air fresheners work so you know you step into a car with a little pine tree right and it's you're like wonderful and it's wonderful and yeah. then you don't notice it any longer it's because true. you completely it's attenuate so to that smell it's so true. It's no longer sending, even if the receptors are active, you're no longer sending a strong signal downstream because it's clearly not an important smell. You're listening to Spark Science on KMRE 102.3 FM, and we're talking about the science of smell with Dr. Lena Dahlberg. I, I had an air freshener that was, like, my favorite in high school. It was a Star Trek um, air freshener. I talk about Star Trek in every episode. Uh, now just to annoy Jordan. Before <laughs> it was because I cared, but now I just annoy, I want to annoy him. But um, it was wonderful. So my dad sent it to me and joked that it smelled like Klingon, and that's what I, I would smell. Uh-huh. It didn't. It was like cinnamon. Just like How do you know. know what a Klingon smells like? He, he was being derogatory. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. no, I love Klingons. I hope they can listen, too, to our show. Oh. Are you translating? Yeah, I should. This show will be translated into Klingon. Um, so, speaking of Klingons, let's get into our segment of talking about pop culture. So, what in your life have you seen on, like, TV or movies that they talk about smell? Yeah. And you're like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard or on the other side, maybe, I mean, this show maybe did it somewhat accurately. Ooh, yeah. put me on the spot here. It's all right. Yeah. If, you, if you can't think of anything, we can talk about something else. <laughs> or, or, or maybe have you ever been at like a fancy restaurant and somebody like oh, orders like some wine? One. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to yes. say, I had a hilarious sideways. situation. It was not quite sideways. <clears throat> right. <laughs> I went and I ordered a glass of wine and the guy brought me a sample and I smelled it, and I said, this one smells just like Star Wars. <laughs> and Did my, you really? Yeah, and my ah. husband was like, what are you talking about? And he smelled it, and he said, I don't know. But, yeah. And the guy at the bar said, uh, I think they said roses. Like, I think it's, you know, the perfume is roses. And I smelled it, and I was like, oh. And I was like, actually, if I smell very deeply, the super strong smell of roses smelled just like Star Wars action figures right. from my childhood. Right. So when yeah. I smelled less deeply, it actually did kind of smell like roses. That makes and so it was much this sense. Hilarious <laughs> moment where I was like, it only smells like Star Wars, and I didn't even have the vocabulary. You to couldn't figure it out. What was going on. Memories. All I could see was Princess Leia and the right. hair. That's and awesome. That was it. Well, I do have to say the the um, the air freshener that had the Star Trek. Um, air freshener it also came with um something my dad got both at the swap meet of a little klingon super um action figure i keep on saying superhero it was a klingon action figure at the end of like a um, uh, candy cane thing and um, it was from the swap meet it was second hand and it smelled like bo it was just great it was wharf and it just smelled like BO. My sister and I um, boiled it. We tried to wash it with like bleach. It would not, the smell would not go away. So um, 
sometimes I will smell something and say, oh, that smells like that Klingon action figure that I had. <laughs> so, and made so Great. Star Trek, yeah. Star Wars. Uh, yeah. I was gift- We're all nerds here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was gifted uh, mullet shampoo one time. <laughs> And it came. Does it work on regular haircuts? No, it, it, it yeah, it does. But no. it had like the it description of all the mullets, like the mud flap and the Kentucky waterfall and the rat tail. Uh, so uh, it went through what? describing them all, but it had, the smell was muscle car. It had oh, the real muscle car scent, yeah. and I, it, I put it on my head, and I was in a muscle car. Right. And I don't know if you guys. It just took you. You there. guys obviously don't. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys go to a lot of car shows, but uh, if you I get don't. into like the old, no, like, but I wear a lot of thirties. Mu- <laughs> right. If you get into like the old thirties and forties hot rods, they all smell the same way. Huh. And I put it on my head, yeah. and it was that was it. That's cool. How they encapsulated a hot rod into a shampoo is amazing. That is yeah, amazing. That is amazing. Let's bring it back to wine, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Like, there are those movies about, like, you know, I smell this one, and I, I can smell, you know, chocolate nuttiness, yeah, you know, and yeah, I can taste yeah. it. And, like, I, I can't believe most of it. <laughs> but is, I mean, do you know anything about, I mean... Like, is that real? Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course yeah. it has, some of it has to be real, obviously. So when but. you think about what a, a complex smell is, yeah, um, it's actually a huge combination of molecules, tiny molecules, and we have individual receptors on different cell types that, um, or indi- individual classes of, of receptors on different cell types that will receive that particular molecule. Right. And so in the human nose, what's really amazing is that one receptor, um, one receptor type is found on one cell, and the cell next to it may have a different receptor cell t- receptor type. Um, so if you need the right combination of small molecules to be around to get the smell of chocolate, for example. Yeah. All those cells have to be active and healthy and able to receive the signal. But that means that you can actually formulate, right? You want a f- small muscle car? You can actually formulate what it is, that the, what combination of small molecules is required for our nose to pick up that smell. So when people sell, say, I smell nuttiness, it's not because they're smelling a walnut. It's because the same small molecules that mm. maybe are found in um, the air around a walnut can be um, detected out of the wine. So it actually is realistic. And um, I mean, the one we use in our lab for the worms, um, if you go to a movie theater, you smell your buttered popcorn. Yes. There is a very simple smell. And so um, the smell of butter that they put in fake butter popcorn is a small molecule that we use in our labs. And it turns out that the worms smell it. Do they love it? They do love it because it's the same <laughs> molecule that is made by the bacteria that they eat. And so you are also talking about the microbiome and all the bacteria in our guts, they're producing small molecules. The animals um, that we work with, they eat bacteria and they find the bacteria by smelling them. And they smell, in, pr- in particular, one of these smells that they can go for is the smell of buttered popcorn. Wow. So it is, it is bringing us back to pop culture and movies. It is. So there oh, you go. Wow. Back to your movies right away. <laughs> totally. So, so I, I don't know if there's any TV or movies you might have seen that just like have a lot of misconceptions. So there was one misconception that came up in our show just now where I believed that the hairs in our nose actually grabbed, you call them um, odorants. Odorants. But yeah. they don't. Uh, are there other misconceptions that you might have maybe just heard students or 
TV or somewhere that like just drive you crazy, like about smells? Wow. I don't think that I, you know, I think smell is an underappreciated sense a lot of the time. So I think, I think it there's is. very, there's less of that, like, did you know your eyes can see in 8,000 million different colors? Like, yeah. there's less of those misconceptions that get widely propagated simply because people take the sense of smell, I think, a little bit more for granted. Right. Um, the big one that you do hear about is that y- you can't taste if you have a cold. Right, right, which and is so what was in my brain. You taste differently, but you aren't not tasting, okay. per se. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of things where I'm just like, well, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I don't watch enough pop culture. I think yeah. what we may be learning is that I should turn off David Attenborough okay. and go watch yeah. know, yeah. some I don't know Apprentice David or something. Yeah. Who's that? He, uh, he narrates the Planet Earth series. <sighs> So if you watch a lot of nature movies with your children. I don't. <laughs> I don't. We watch Bob's Burgers. Uh, right. Maybe if Blood Morgan Freeman did it, then. Yeah, that's right. 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 Or James Earl Jones. Or James. Well, which one did the penguins? Uh, Morgan, Morgan Freeman, Freeman did Morgan, the penguins. Morgan I believe yeah. it was Morgan him. Freeman, Morgan yeah. Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was uh, no, true facts about I, I want to come back to you're absolutely right. Smell is taken for granted. Thank you for doing the work you do. Mm-hmm. Because... If you think about superheroes, right? There's superheroes that have like, I can see through walls, I can fly, you know, I can stretch my body. Uh, what are other senses? You know, I can yell. There's even like the black canary. But is there a superhero that has super smell? I don't mm. think so. It may be complicated because if you can, if you say I smell really good, then people might take it, you know, the wrong way and think right, that like, you actually smell like good. smell like roses. Uh, I guess then it would be smelling well. So maybe that's <laughs> right. But the Scooby grammar could get difficult. Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. You can see uh, some of his right. scent trails, and oh, he would follow the scent trails. But he's trails. an animal. I mean, we're talking about humans, right? Uh, well, you didn't spe- you were specific. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's a good but, point. I don't know of a superhero. Well, listening human. audience, anyone? Yeah. Well, the only thing I can think of is Daredevil because he doesn't have a sight that he uses everything else, and I'm just assuming he uses smell as well presumably presumably so with that we're gonna end our show on superheroes (laughs) and the daredevil and i want to thank you for coming to talk with us and dealing with our ridiculous questions that's just fine i really enjoyed it yeah and you've educated me and i think this is even better than taking a biology class Oh, well, you yeah. can still come and take a biology class. I probably should. <laughs> I'd be happy. <laughs> I won't. I won't. <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming to talk right, to us. You are welcome. Thank you for joining us. We just spoke with Dr. Lena Dahlberg about the science of smell. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, kmre.org, and click on the podcast link. Our show is entirely volunteer run, and if you would like to help us out, click on the button Donate. This is Spark Science. I'm Regina Barber DeGraff. And I'm Jordan Baker. We'll be back again next week. Listen to us Sunday at 5 p.m., Wednesday at 9 p.m., and Saturday at noon. If there's a science idea that you're curious about, send us an email or post a message on our Facebook page, Spark Science. Today's episode, The Science of Smell, was produced in the KMRE Spark Radio Studios, located in the Spark Museum on Bay Street in Bellingham. Our producer is Katie Knutson. The engineer for today's show is Eric Faburetta. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Blackalicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet.
Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I rap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Right, uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Dallas, with some Dallas, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They could explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.